another fine podcast from the FIR Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to EE Voice, a podcast where we talk about employee engagement, internal communications, best practices, and practical tips to improve employee communications at your organization. I'm Sharon Phillips in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. And I'm Sharon McIntosh in Norwalk, Connecticut. So Sharon, wow, this is a big one. This is our 50th podcast. Woo! <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been really amazing just to think back a little bit at all the great conversations that we've had with folks we've had the privilege to speak with. And I just want to say it's been a super privilege to work with you on this partnership of this podcast. And then just to be able to welcome so many people to these great conversations about something that we're both very passionate about, employee communications. I always say, Sharon, this never would have happened without you. So I don't think I could do this without you. And it has really been a true privilege to have experts that we're able to tap into and listeners that we hear from. So mainly just thank you. This podcast is dedicated to all of our listeners over the past several years and all 50 of the podcasts. Speaking of great speakers and great experts, you want to talk about our guest today? So now on to number 50. Our year of dramatic change is nearing its end with no sight of a calm return to normalization of business as we knew it. Experts have predicted a number of sea changes as a result of our pandemic, and one is an uptick in mergers and acquisitions. Today, we are pleased to have an international expert to talk with us about the challenges of M&A communications and the particular importance of well-designed and executed internal communications. Louis de Chormelet heads Corporate Diplomat, a Brussels-based consultancy dedicated to managing communications for mergers and acquisitions. I particularly was taken with this quote on Louis's website. Quote, our purpose is to align the entire organization, putting people first in everything we do. People are a company's most valuable asset. Bravo. I'm in complete agreement, Louis. Welcome. Thank you, Sharon. And let me start off with congratulating you to your 50th. I am very honored and pleased to join that one. And uh, I can only say if we start talking about people and if we start talking about the value they have, Sharon and Sharon, I must say you are the people who are behind this. And together with Ed, probably, who is in the technique, you have done this and made this. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Before we launch into the M&A world, can you give our listeners a little background on yourself and your firm? Yes. I am born in Luxembourg. Um, Luxembourg is a tiny little European country of the size of New Jersey. That's what I tell mm -hmm. my American friends when they ask me where Luxembourg and what it is. And I'm living now for the last 20 years in Belgium. Brussels and have done my career in corporate communications with a couple of American companies and European companies and have spent a lot of time in building something which I believe is this glue that communication represents. With my colleagues, we always laughed that in corporate communications, we knew the company best because we knew everything from the risks. Yeah. So what is happening, we knew from the CEO what was 
the future outlook, what was going to happen. And we knew from the people what had happened and what had gone wrong. Um, so in communications, you're putting the things together from HR, from finance, from operations. You are the ones who know the plants. You know the ones who go, keep visiting the plants. You keep knowing the receptionist because you have to talk to him, to her, or the person who really makes this glue of an organization and the culture. And I think that is where I believe that the real value of communication comes through. And that is also the background to Corporate Diplomat, the company set up now over three years ago. In my career, I have done quite a lot of transactions, mergers and acquisitions, and realized that while you do need an extraordinary strategic rationale and business rationale in order to make a transaction, buying or selling, to make it successful, to really raise the value, you need people to work together and you need people to deliver on that rationale. And I think that's where communications can do. And that is why Corporate Diplomat, which is kind of the organization where you keep doors open, where you talk to people, where as a communicator, you're never in front. It's always somebody else, a CEO. So the diplomat is never visible, mm -hmm. <laughs> but you always are the one who keeps the track, even in bad times, good times. You're always there or you always know whom to call. You always know that you find a solution. Mm -hmm. You always go for the long term run. And that's what we do. Perfect analogy. I love it. Really it. Is. Lewis, I was introduced to you by Mike Klein, and yes. uh, who is a member of Corporate Diplet, as well as I am. And we're both so honored to be part of your team. And how that conversation came about was regarding COVID. And something that we talked about that seemed obvious after we talked about it, but I hadn't thought of it before, was how COVID was going to affect M&A and how the expectation was after COVID that M&A would increase. I would love to hear your thoughts on that and kind of how this global pandemic will have an effect on mergers and acquisitions. So when it all started in March, the ongoing deals would go to the conclusion. But I would say at the beginning of April this year, 2020, the number of transactions had gone down because everybody was kind of trying to fix their own stories and fix their business. Plants were stopped, shops were closed. You had quite a lot of things to fix in your own operations for most of the businesses that I have seen. And only very few large organizations would say, oh, now I take my money and go and buy something new because you had no idea what was going to happen. But the wise ones, the smart ones would put up at least somebody who would look at the market and dedicate a resource of really studying competitors, suppliers, people moving in the market, following their M&A strategy of how those targets would evolve so that when the opportunity came or would come, they would be fast and behind it. That was kind of the story I was making and telling in spring when this started. Reality turned out to be a little bit more complex. I think many businesses have really seen dramatic impact on their operations. Some very positive because mm -hmm. their products were asked, they were in demand, they were on, with a supply of something or services that was in demand. 
and others, well, they couldn't even open their shops. So if your shops have to be closed, I know businesses that had to close pretty much uh, 100% of their outlets. Yeah, well, if you have to close 100% of your outlets, you still have your people. So in countries other than the US, um, you can't just not pay your people. And probably in the US, you can't not, not just pay them neither. Right. I don't know the details <laughs> enough. But you know, you have your running costs, you have to pay your rent, you have acquired, you've bought your stock. So people were struggling. If we go further, we see now that there is a number of transactions going forward. And one of the things that are sensitive is in terms of communications, let's go back there where we want to be is that when you go out and say, well, I'm the cash-rich private equity or I'm the cash-rich whatever and I'm going to buy you because your business went down, what is the impact that you're putting on your target? What is the impact that you're putting on the faces of the people who have worked the last couple of years, last heavy month, to maintain and preserve the business? And you come and say, okay, I'm the cash-rich and I'm just buying you up it is not necessarily a safe premise to go there. Right. Mm-hmm. And if we go on the other side, if you're on the seller side, if you're in communications, you don't want to let your people go down. So how transparent can you be that your business is not in an optimal situation? How transparent do you want to be? Because the more you keep saying that things are not well, the last people will trust you, customers will not buy from you because they will say, can I go back there? What's happening? Your people will move away because the first ones will feel that things are going bad. So they will try to look for a new job. So you have to balance how explicit you are about the way it goes badly. And you want people to stay honestly and you have to inform them, but you want to be reasonable in the expectations that you can build. If you go back for the buyer side, I would say the recommendation is really to go out there and say, we have a great respect for you guys who have suffered. And if we are interested in buying you today, it is because you have built a technology, a credibility, a quality in your service, quality in your people, knowledge, expertise, innovation that makes you today very interesting. And that is why we believe that it is smart to buy you and not let you go down. But that's a different approach from going there and say, I'm cash rich and I'm buying an opportunity. For sure. So, Lewis, those of us who have been through merger or acquisition know that outside consultants are often employed to help structure and drive the process. While they have very clear-cut business strategy plans, sometimes their internal communication strength can be lacking. Have you found this? I would say the following. When you're looking at transactions, most transactions come because a strategic consultancy has recommended or advised on going into a direction. And if it is not a strategic consultancy, it is a bank, an investment bank, or somebody who says, oh, there is an opportunity. So in order to make a transaction, you do need a strategic rationale. It needs to fit into your window. Going just there to buy something because it's on the market may be okay, but it should fit into your long-term vision and your long-term perspective. And if you go then on the other side, when you say, okay, you need a good strategic rationale, what else do you need? If it fails, it's because of people. 
-hmm. It's because mm -hmm. people don't deliver. There was a clash of cultures. The CEOs didn't get along. Mm -hmm. We struggled so much time on finding out how to do a decision. We didn't know who should go first. And you have stopped all of the regular operating business decisions like investing in CapEx, investing in this and that. Because you say, yeah, we don't know yet how it's going to be once we have done the deal. So you have stopped doing your regular business. And yeah, no, but we can't do this campaign now because if we get this, we will. So the consultancies try to do everybody with their own experience, advantage and brings in. So it's difficult to just say generally everybody does a bad job. I think that would be not appropriate. What we have not seen very often is that there are consultancies who put actually the people aspect first. And yes, everybody will say that they have done the people aspect. The press release will say, oh, the two cultures are made to fit together. That's right. what the CEOs will say in the press release. The question is, have you actually conducted a cultural survey during your due diligence? So the period before when you study it, they will do due mm -hmm. diligence on the finance aspect. They will do due diligence on environmental aspects. They will do due diligence on how many pending cases and litigation there is. Yes, but has there really been an in-depth due diligence on the culture, on the way things are decided, discussed, spoken about? And that is probably something that is lacking. And if it happens, is it really going into the emotions? Probably because it is so difficult, because we think our world very functionally, it's six FTEs. Okay, six FTEs. Six FTEs is people. That is talent. Yep. That is right. knowledge. That is skills. That mm -hmm. is energy. That is uh, doubts. That is suffering. That is mm -hmm. fear. It's very different to treat. Yes. And it's very different to assess and to capture. Yes. So that doesn't show on the dashboards. That is something we talked about a few weeks ago, that M&A communications is both an art and a science. And you yes. said that to Sharon and I when we spoke a few yeah. weeks ago, which I loved. So can you talk a little bit more about that? Yes. So I think we do need science in communications. There is psychology. Yes. There is sociology. Yes. There is history. Yes. There's economics, absolutely. Communications needs to serve the business. Um, it's not there to make nice brochures. It's there to serve the business. So you do need to have an understanding of economics and finance so that you're consistent. These are aspects of science where I would say, yes, there is a procedure. Yes, there is a process. And fortunately, I would say to 95%, human behavior is predictable. So if you do good observation, if you do in-depth analysis, if you do ask questions and you hear the answers, well, not only listen to the answers, but you hear the answers, then you can capture and aggregate that as a quantitative reflection and potentially also a qualitative evaluation. And that's where a science and methodology approach and questionnaires and interviews, all of that has its relevance. If you then have to build the future out of that, of extracting what does that mean? And if I tell you, oh, it was just wonderful. Mm, are you really sure I loved it? Or were you actually, is that yeah. an ironic way of saying it was a disaster? <laughs> right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That's where you need to have an art. 
where you have yeah. to have the sensibility. You may want to call this an emotional intelligence. I don't know if it is all of that sophisticated. I think it is just a good sense of what people are. It is a good sense of empathy. And it is, who has written that? I can't remember. I should have prepared that answer, but I can't, I can't find it out. Is this uh, rule number six, don't take yourself too seriously? Yeah. <laughs> That's a good <laughs> one for during the day. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Common sense. I think, let's take me out. It is Benjamin Zander in his book, The Art of Possibility. Uh-huh. So, rule number six, don't take yourself too seriously. <laughs> <laughs> so, Lewis, this kind of brings to the next subject. I know this is a big topic and we could talk on and on about it, but can you give us kind of an overview of the process for communication planning and decision making for a merger? It's kind of at a high level. I know, you know, again, we could talk about this for hours, but. Well, we assume that your audience do know the entire M&A process as such. So from due diligence, negotiation, agreement on a deal, closing the deal and integration. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's flow of what happens. In terms of communications, I would say there is four baskets that I would talk about. The first one is really the analytical part. It is spending the time to understand who are the stakeholders, how do they feel, what do they do. Looking into stakeholders, mapping them, who is important, who is less important in the order of influencing success, because importance is a function of something, and really making this classification. At the same time, looking at the issues, what can happen, What can go wrong? What is the current social climate in the organization? Are there tensions with unions? Are there tensions within the environment, middle management? What is happening within your own organization? Not only just at the target. That's easy because you can blame the others. So looking at yourself, how prepared are you to welcome somebody else? Do you have good processes in place? Let me give you one example of a case that we have worked on. The buyer was a sizable company buying bigger than themselves. And some of the reactions that came up from the buyer's side were, yeah, but do we really want to go there? What if they are better than us? So this fear of being ready that your own organization has processes, decision-making things and processes in place so that everybody knows where to go. This is the kind of mapping, analysis, structuring that you need to do to know where do you start from. You can do that online. You can do that with tools. There is really fantastic tools that allow you to do that mapping. And we produce reports really where we spend quite a lot of time. You go through the data, then you extract the high-level findings, and then you make kind of a one slide with this is really the top three things that you have to watch out when you go into that transaction. It's this preparation of what happens and who are the key people, how prepared are the key people Mm -hmm. to speak up? Is your leadership prepared to speak and to help driving through? So it's really this preparational step. Then I would say it is getting your people on the mindset. You can help preparing the change. You can help preparing the transaction by dropping off ideas here and there in the months before you do a transaction, 
in order to help people adapt and clarify on where they are, clarify on what your vision is, so that the day then they find out, they say, yeah, that makes sense. That fits in our picture. That fits in what we said we would do. Yep. Okay, this vision, (laughs) this strategy is something that it helps people, at least on the buyer side, make much more sense out of it. Okay, and it could be your customers, it could be your financial community, it could be your stakeholders, your suppliers to whom you say, we want to go that road one day, or that is where we want to go, so that they can say, yes, that's consistent. Mm -hmm. And it also will be the same message for the target when you understand, oh, yeah, that's why they are buying us. They said that they wouldn't want to go there. You're lowering the anger, the fear. The temperature. Why are they yeah. buying us? What are they going to do with us? But if you always said, that's where we want to go, they said, yeah, it's natural yeah. that they buy us. We're right. a natural fit. You know, this is preparation long before you actually do a transaction. Given all those steps, we know so many mergers fail. And we mm-hmm. see the stats out there that they fail. What are one or two things that you've seen are critical so that success falls into that 20, 30% success rate? If we try to make this nice and easy and memo technique, I can give you the three Ps and I probably will <laughs> add a fourth one. People, patience, give it the time and perspective, giving them a vision. People to just make sure people are on board, I explained, we mentioned that just before. The patience is, we all know our shock curve, the way how we resolve, no, that cannot be. And then you depress and then you recover. You you know the curve, the sufferance curve. So give people the time, allow them to go through that curve. through the curve. That's that's really good What we all do as fantastic communicators Mm -hmm. is we have to do this deal. This is the best thing. We're going to grow. We're going to pick. Yeah, but... People don't necessarily want to be enthusiastic at the beginning. Allow them to make the step that they have to give up something of their past. Allow mm-hmm. them to go through there. Just be patient. Not too much time otherwise, because if you're too slow, then you're losing track. But allow enough. <laughs> and that depends. And provide a perspective is what is it you're going to do and where you want to go. What I have seen, and we have seen this in a very successful transaction, where basically the management has decided from day one, they said, this is the process how we are going to select people for key positions. And that was through a third-party assessment. In that case, for this deal, it made sense. Because they said, we want the best people to be there. And it doesn't matter which legacy they have. You defined the process. They didn't say, it will be him, it will be her, it will be somebody else. They just defined the process. And even if it would take a couple of weeks until somebody was selected, people knew what the process was. And people felt that that process was fairly explained, transparent, and regardless what the outcome would be, they knew and they could understand the process. And therefore, there was support. And there was even support during that period of uncertainty. These people, perspectives, and patience. And if I have to add a fourth one, but maybe I come with that at the very end. It's passion. But okay. Ah, four, P, four Ps. <laughs> That's great. So mergers require a fine-tuned dance between the two internal comms teams. Can you talk a little bit about your experience here? Yes, it is very interesting. So probably to get a proper transaction done, you really have to define 
what is it you want to do? Is it company A plus company B? Is it company A that absorbs company B? Is it company B that will continue with its own identity? So these are these visions that you have to define very clearly in advance. That's when I talk about perspectives because it makes a difference. How do communication teams work together? In a classic transaction, so I think personally I have done over 70 transactions that I supported. So I've seen a few big ones, a lot in the middle, and a couple of smaller ones. Very often corporate communications teams are called in rather late. We've personally experienced that. Yes, yep. Mm -hmm. And corporate communications teams do get very late the permission to talk to the other side, especially if we're talking about bigger transactions or listed companies where basically no lawyer will allow the communications teams to talk to each other until the very end because they are so worried that any information could go over. So you have to get clearance from your lawyers first. So that's... Mm -hmm. There is no way around that. You should not go and talk to the other side without having the approval. And it should also be part of the vision on why are you doing that. I would say in a great transaction, we were on the seller side and the company selling one of the businesses. Very interesting and well managed. And basically at some stage, we got very high level alignment with the buyer on trying to understand what their story was that they would tell employees on day one when they would arrive. So they had a kind of a paraphrase on how they would formulate it. So what we did was basically preparing on the seller's side a theme that would fit into it. They were not the same. They couldn't be, and they should not have been, but they could be tuned so that there could be a transition. So we used some of the same wording or word sounds or sound binds so that there was a coherence in the story so that we could say, okay, this is something where you're picking it up and we are bringing it to the last day. So yes, there we did align. And I think if you can align as well, not only on the tone, but also on this collaboration, because the communications people are those who can send out those messages so if you're on the buyer side, you cannot talk to the people that are on the other side. Mm-hmm. They are employees of the other side uh, until they are yours. So you can't that's, talk that's to them. Right. right. Nothing prevents you to put working at our company on an improved HR section. Mm-hmm. What does it look like to work in company A? And you can make that a fresh video. <laughs> Nobody mm-hmm. knows that that is aimed at the 90% of the target who will go at and try to find out what it is to work at company A. So so you can do this openly without hiding anything, but just demonstrate and show the best side of yourself. And that, again, is something that you can do in advance. I would say, yes, go and talk together, uh, do it. And as I gave the example, so where we did things really to make sure that there was a smooth transition, But very often, especially in larger transactions, legally, you're very limited on what you can do. But nothing prevents you to do proactively a couple of things on your website, on LinkedIn, on Facebook, wherever, on your social media, so that you can build enthusiasm. We're looking forward to welcome you. All of those who might join us one day. Right. And Lois, one more question for me before I hand it over to Sharon. But let's talk about the challenges of the 
international mergers, and given your background and given where you're based, I would love to hear about your advice for an internal communications pro who's facing an international merger mm-hmm. or acquisition. I would say, yes, we have done a couple of them. And the complexity that is brought by international transactions is at several levels. I would say the most obvious level is, of course, language. Most international corporations would have as a common practice to use English. Even here in Europe, many of the larger companies have English as a common language. However, when you have to go out and tell people that there is a significant change, and if we're talking about internal comms and your employees, I think it is a great sign of respect of your people that you're talking to them in a language that they are familiar with, especially for terminology like mergers and acquisition. That is already a complex story Mm -hmm. for anybody who is not part of an M&A team. I think you have to make it as accessible as possible for people. So take the time to translate We have done translations of Q&As, of keywords, key messaging into other languages. You better have a good trusted translation agency because if you're preparing (laughs) the translation of your documents that are confidential, um, you have to get blessings from your legal department and make sure that exists and there are trustworthy partners uh, like any other partners that you can work with. But I think the language is an easy one, but you can fix it because you can see what other languages and you just get it done. That's a, it's an easy one, but it's an important one. The second one is probably more complex. That is the cultural aspect. You may already have organizations, and we have seen this in transactions, where some of the regions or some of the markets or country-specific organization, oh yeah, they know they have been bought and, and sold several times. So it's not because you have, say, 25 plants worldwide that all 25 plants have the same history. It could be that one market has been acquired recently or has been acquired and reacquired recently. So some of those haven't even changed the logo from five years ago and (laughs) have been through different owners. So in the preparation phase, and that goes back to what I said in the initial is is taking the time to review that history. So what is the need of each of the regions or the markets or the sections or the segments or the departments that you have gone through or that will be affected? Their capability or their willingness or their resistance or their openness may be influenced by their history. So as much as you can, it's not always very easy when you're talking about mega deals, but those who have a human size, try to see if you can nuance and adapt as much as you can locally. Yes. And, and then comes the third aspect, and I would say that is where we have worked on global transactions where we just trust our local partners. So we sit in Europe, so it makes it very easy from a timeline because we are squeezed between the early mornings on the American side and the late uh, evenings on the Asian side. So it makes it convenient because we can talk to both sides in a day. But when you're announcing a deal, well, the timeline makes a difference. So we have worked on deals that were global where you had to include Australian European and American colleagues, and that could be even people from the West Coast or from Latin America. 
you consider, oh yeah, the best time is at eight o'clock, uh, eight a.m. in the morning before the stock market opens. Yes, but your colleagues in Australia might already be in the weekend because it is mm-hmm. Friday nine o'clock. Yeah. Simple thing, but we do have to keep conscious of that. <laughs> yes, so, so there is 24 hours in a timeline, so yes. you have to take that into consideration. We have had yeah. deals, and, and year-end is always very hot to announce deals. So when you're going just before the holiday period of year-end, yeah. and it's not easy. So that is something where I would say when you do global deals and global announcement for your teams, you do need to integrate at least yeah. one person per region who knows about the nuances, who knows about the cultural sensitivities, who knows about what is best in their market. Don't consider that centrally, you know something. That's <laughs> smart and practical advice, for sure. <laughs> so, Lewis, we always like to leave our listeners with one final practical tip that they can use in their roles if they're facing a merger and acquisition. What would yours be? Start with the end. Ask the question to your management, ask the question to the project team, what is the situation or the state of the company in two years' time? What will we look like in two years' time? That will have a question about branding, brand perception. What will be the dominant brand? Will people work for their brand? Will their brand disappear? What will the company look like in two years' time? So once all of the integration process and all of the little details have been fixed, where will we be and what is it we want to deliver to our customers? How do we add value to our customers? Your people, how should they feel? What should they be proud of? This is the kind of questions that I would recommend you start asking because then all of the rest of the process of your communications, how you structure communications, the key messages you deliver, they will be building towards that goal. And the earlier you can give your people a vision of where you would want them to go, well, the easier it is for them to project them into the future and to take away the fear that they have. Because the fear, number one, is what's going to happen to my job. That's right. I love that. That's great advice. Keep the end vision in the front, in the very beginning, and all throughout the whole process for communicators, obviously. So thanks, Lewis. This has been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed it. I feel like I've learned a lot, and this is a fabulous subject, and I think you're going to share a lot for people who are you know, potentially facing these kind of challenges in the coming year or two. So very good. Thank you. If our listeners want to reach you, how could they do that? How do they get a contact with you? So the best way to find us is to go on our website. That is www.corporate-diplomat.com. Got it. And listeners, now it's your turn. Please let us know your thoughts on this podcast. And of course, we always welcome your ideas for future topics. So please, as we enter our next 50, (laughs) we really need your feedback and that would be very helpful. So Sharon, can you tell people how we can be reached? Yeah, happy to. But before I do that, I just want to thank you again, Lewis. This is like a masterclass in M&A communication. So really appreciate your insights. It's certainly, I think, going to be a very interesting year or maybe two, or if I look towards the end, next five years for communication. So 
I have a feeling a lot of the lessons here will apply for many years to come. We all need to basically strap on our seatbelts and and dig in for what's going to be certainly a tumultuous next year. So back to how you can get in touch with us. You can send us an email at fircomments at gmail.com or leave a comment directly on the show blog or on the FIR Podcast Network community on Facebook. And of course, Sharon and I always, always, always welcome you connecting with us on LinkedIn and Twitter. Many of you have reached out, so please continue to do so. And a final big shout out to Mr. Ed Gilbert, our friend and producer who is responsible for making sure our podcasts are listener ready. And thanks to all of you for listening and for engaging your employees.